My name is Matt, and I'd like to say Merry Christmas one last time to all of you. Merry Christmas. So great to have you here with us. Uh, is there anyone who is still full from yesterday? I got up this morning, I'm like, I, don't, I can't eat breakfast. Good grief. Uh, well, I hope that you had an opportunity to spend some time with people that you love and to eat good food and most importantly, to celebrate the birth of Jesus. In our series, Majesty, we're looking at who Jesus is, our Savior, Savior of the world. That he's King of kings and Lord of lords. That he's Emmanuel, God with us, God in the human flesh. And we've been celebrating him and we are so thankful for him. And today we're going to look at Jesus as the perfect model or image of the character and nature of God for us. Anytime we want to really know about something or understand something, it's helpful for us to have a description and an image or a model, and to bring those things together. Both a description and an image brought together. Uh, for about six months around summer, uh, really from, from April to October, uh, Farber and I got together every week and finished the, the basement in my house. We did a number of different projects in order to make sure that it was completed and ready. And now my daughter sleeps down there, so pray for her. It could literally all collapse at any point. <laughs> there were a lot of projects involved in finishing that basement, and I'm not great at those kinds of projects. But fortunately, most of them came with some sort of instructions, right? Helpful instructions, not Ikea-level instructions, genuinely helpful instructions that... Many of those projects came. So at one point, we had finished a shower, and it was time for me to put the glass door on the shower, and that came with instructions. And the first instruction in the manual is this. Measure the wall-to-wall -wall opening at the center of the tub rim. Cut the tub track 1 16th of an inch short of this dimension. Position the tub track in the center of the tub rim with the tall leg to the exterior. It may be necessary to file the ends of the tub track and the wall jams to match the corners of the tub. Now, there are some people in here who are like, yep, didn't even need the instructions. I know how to do all of that. But for me, when I read those directions, I was like, maybe I kind of understand what I'm supposed to do. It was real fuzzy. Maybe I know what I'm supposed to do, maybe I don't. But fortunately, in the instructions, not only did they give me the written directions, but they also gave me a completed picture of what it was supposed to look like. And when I was able to put the written directions and the picture together, I was like, oh, I think I know what I'm supposed to do. I can complete step one. 37 more steps to go, but I can complete step one because they gave me the directions and the image. That's helpful to us if we want to know about something or know how it works to get that description and that image or model. And the same is true with God. If we want to know who God is, know his character and how he interacts with people, it's helpful for us to have descriptions of him and also helpful for us to have an image or a model. There are hundreds and hundreds of descriptions of the character of God throughout the scriptures. Uh, you, you flip open your Bible and you don't have to turn very far before you get descriptions of who God is and how he interacts with people. 
Let's use as an illustration this morning, Exodus chapter 34, verses 6 and 7. It's a famous description of God's character. It says, the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgressions and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. What does this description teach us about our God? It teaches us that he is graceful, that he's merciful, that he is slow to anger, that he's abounding in love beyond what we can even comprehend as people. He's, he's forgiving. It also shows us that he is holy and that he is righteous and that sin will be punished and that the consequences of sin will flow to even those around us and impact generations to come. But we get all of that and much more here, and I'm just using this as an illustration, that the Bible is filled with descriptions of who God is. But in order for us to fully know something, and in this situation fully know God, we need the descriptions, and it's really helpful for us to have the image or the model. And so where is the image or the model? Well, that's where we were supposed to come in. Right? We were meant to be that image or that model that perfectly reflected the character of God to all of creation. In Genesis chapter 1, 26 and 27, God says, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness. God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. We were meant to be the model that showed God to all of creation. So to put a fine point on this, when my kids needed to know what God was like, they were meant to be able to look at me and say, that's what the character of God is like. When my neighbors needed to know what God is like, they were meant to be able to look at me and say, that is what God is like. When you were meant to know what God is like, you, you were meant to be able to look at me and say, oh, yeah, yeah. Look at Matt. That's what God is like. We were meant to be in the image, in the likeness of God. That's how images and likeness work. I, I have up here an image or a likeness. This is our little life group card. And on that life group card, there is an image or a likeness of Autumn Warden. Autumn is our connections director. And she was put on this card before she was hired here at the church. And now she would like off the card, but we won't let her. <laughs> we continue to use her as our spokesmodel for life groups. Uh, and, and this is her image or likeness. Now, when you see this image or likeness, no one is going to mistake this for the real Autumn Warden. No one is going to walk up and start to have a conversation with this. Right? If you walked into my office and found me there with this postcard of Autumn having a staff conversation... Well, Autumn, I think we should, and waiting for her to respond, what would you think? Oh, yeah, we're, we're in a lot of trouble. There's a few of you that wouldn't be surprised, but we'd be in a lot of trouble. Because the image and the likeness isn't to be mistaken for the real. When people looked at us as the image and the likeness of God, no one was going to mistake us for the infinite, eternal maker and sustainer of all things. But... When you look at this image or likeness, who's your mind drawn to? 
Right? Who does it perfectly represent? Pastor Kenny? Right? Does your mind immediately go to Joel? No, right? Your mind is drawn to Autumn because that image and the likeness is of her. And in the same sense, when everyone looked at us, we were to be the image and the likeness and we were to be those that when people looked at us, they went, oh, that's what God is like. That was my creation design. I was to be loving because God is love. I was to be totally honest because God is truth. I was to be filled with peace and joy because those are the characteristics of God. Am I a perfect representative of who God is? The answer is no, that's right. You can say it. It's okay. Absolutely not. As some of you remember the story that I told a year ago about my son when he was nine or ten years old and he had a friend over and he decided for whatever reason that he was going to practice swinging his baseball bat in his bedroom. And while practicing swinging that baseball bat over and over again, the bat slipped out of his hands, went through the 30-gallon fish tank that was sitting on his dresser, and by the time I arrived at his room, he was standing there in bare feet in the broken glass trying to pick up the fish with 30 gallons of fish water all over the floor. At that moment, was I, Exodus 34, (laughs) gracious and merciful, slow to anger, No. No, uh, my behavior needed to be apologized for a few minutes later because that's how I acted in that moment. I did not reflect the character and nature of God in that moment. And it's not the only moment where that has been true. And Genesis chapter 3, ever since Genesis chapter 3, that's been true of all of us. That we were meant to perfectly reflect the character and nature of God, the character of God, and we don't. Instead, we reflect selfishness, brokenness, and sin. So if there was going to be an image or a model to go along with the descriptions of God's character, something else had to happen beyond me, beyond you. And God did something far better. God decided to send his one and only son to put on humanity to perfectly reflect the character and nature of God to us. The Son of God came himself, putting on flesh to perfectly represent who God is to us. He's the perfect image, the perfect model of what God is like. Jesus says this in John chapter 14. He's talking to his disciples and he says, If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on you do know him and have seen him. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father and it's enough for us. Jesus said to him, Have I been with you so long and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Jesus is the perfect model, the perfect image. To know Jesus is to know God. To see Jesus is to see God. To understand Jesus is to understand God. He says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. In Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3, we read about Jesus. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. In Colossians 1.15, we read about Jesus that he is the image of the invisible God. The Greek word for image here is the word icon. 
It's the word that Jesus uses the week before his crucifixion when he's standing with the Jewish leaders and he holds up a coin and he says, whose icon is on this coin? Whose image is on this coin? And they say, Caesar. All right, Caesar's image is on that. What was Caesar's image meant to remind people of on that coin? Right? It, it was his, right? It belonged to him. It, meant to, it was meant to remind people of Caesar and Caesar's rule. And Jesus says in that situation, then render unto Caesar what is Caesar's. That is, those things that have his image on it. And render unto God the things that belong to God. Wait, who has God's image on them? You. Right? Render unto Caesar the things that are Caesar's, that have his image on it. Render unto God the things that are God's. That's us. Render yourself unto God, Jesus says, because you belong to him. That image, that icon, was meant to remind people of Caesar. And in the same sense, Jesus is the perfect image. The the exact imprint, the exact image of who God is and his character for us. So if we want to know what God is like, where do we look? Right, We look to Jesus. Because Jesus teaches us perfectly what God is like. You want to know what God's understanding of sin is? Look to Jesus. When Jesus says in Matthew chapter 5, if your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away, for it's better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away, for it's better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body go into hell. Jesus teaches us God's viewpoint about sin, that he hates it, that it's abhorrent to him. And that he recognizes there's punishment for that sin. And it is better for you to lose parts of your body than to enter into that punishment and those consequences that come with sin. Jesus reveals to us the character and mind of God. You want to understand the mind of God towards children? Look at Jesus. In Mark chapter 10, And they were bringing children to him that he might touch them. And the disciples rebuked them. And when Jesus saw it, he was indignant and said to them, Let the children come to me, do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. And he took them in his arms and blessed them, laying his hands on them. The Jews of Jesus' day understood children to be sub-people, not worthy of the time of someone important like Jesus. And Jesus says that doesn't reflect the heart of God towards children. The heart of God towards children is that they should be taught, that they should be trained, that they should be blessed and introduced to the person of God. And so we understand the heart of God towards children as we see what Jesus does when he experiences children. This is one of those uh, rare mornings here at Friendship where we don't have childcare. So there's a few more child noises around the room today. What a blessing that is. Because God's heart is a heart for children. Right? He, he loves them. He wants them to be blessed and he wants them to be taught and trained. You want to know God's heart towards mercy and forgiveness? Look at Jesus' teaching in Matthew 18 about this king that forgives this great debt of the servant, and the servant then won't forgive his fellow servant of a small debt. And the king says, you're not a part of the kingdom of mercy and forgiveness if you won't show it, because this is a kingdom of mercy and forgiveness. It's at the core of the kingdom. It's all about the kingdom. You want to see Jesus' mercy and forgiveness? 
Look at his interactions with that woman at the well in John chapter 4. She'd had five different husbands, and she was living with a man who was not her husband. And as Jesus interacts with her, what does he say to her? He says, you are way too sinful to receive the gospel. No, that's not what he said. What does he say? He says, please drink of the living water. You've been trying to satisfy your soul with all of these men for years. What you need is the soul satisfaction that can only come with relationship with God. You can be forgiven because mercy and forgiveness of God is expressed through Jesus. You want to know about God's mercy and forgiveness? Look to Jesus. You want to know about God's compassion for the hurting? Look at Jesus. Mark 1, 40 and 41, Jesus interacts with a leper who has been shut out of society for decades and he's, a leper comes to him and kneeling down says, if you will, you can make me clean. We read in verse 41, listen to this, moved with compassion. He stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I will be clean. Jesus touches the man in the healing process. Jesus didn't have to touch him to heal him. Jesus heals lots of people without touching them. But this man hadn't experienced human touch for decades because of the disease that he had. And in compassion, Jesus reaches out and makes human contact with him and heals him of this disease because our God has deep compassion for those who are hurting. We know he has that compassion because we see it in Jesus And Jesus perfectly reflects the heart of God. You want to know about how important faith is to God? Look at how important faith is to Jesus. In Matthew chapter 8, we see this astounding story of this centurion who has so much faith that he tells Jesus, I know you don't even need to come to my house to heal my servant. I know you have all authority, authority even over disease. You don't need to come to my house to do this. Just do it from where you are. That's fine. And Jesus is so overwhelmed by this man's faith, he uses it as an illustration to everyone that is around him. You want to know about God's heart for faith in his people? Look at Jesus in Mark 4 and 5 as he communicates to his disciples again and again the same message. I am the Son of God. I have all power and authority. And if you will place your faith in me, that power and authority can be yours for kingdom work. Mark chapter 4, great sea rages and Jesus calms it. Mark chapter 5, the most powerful demonic force in the area named Legion is at work in this man and Jesus casts him out. Then there's a woman that's been bleeding for 12 years that comes up and touches Jesus, but Jesus doesn't become unclean, she becomes clean. And then Jesus raises a little girl from the dead and Jesus communicates to all of his followers I have power over the seen creation and the unseen creation. I have power over illness. I have power over what is clean and unclean. I have full authority over life and death. Will you place your faith and your trust in me? We see the importance of faith in the mind of God when we see it in Jesus and the way that he teaches and trains his disciples. And of course, we see the love of God most as Jesus is stretched out upon the cross, dying so that we might live, taking the wrath and punishment for our sin upon himself so that we might be declared innocent and righteous in the courtroom of God. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us 
and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. That is the ultimate love that God shows to us. Jesus is the perfect model, the perfect image to combine with the descriptions of who God is to understand our God. 2 Corinthians 4.4 says, In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing what? The light of the gospel of the glory of Christ who is the image of God. The enemy's desire is that people wouldn't understand the gospel and wouldn't understand that Jesus is the exact picture and representation of God's character because he's God in the flesh. God's desire among his people is that they would see clearly who he is. That he is the God-man. Perfectly representing the character of God for us so that we can understand who God is fully. The exact imprint of his nature. If we want to know more about who God is, how do we do that? We look at Jesus. You want to know more about what God is like? You want to know more about how he wants to interact with us as people? We look to Jesus. And I want to encourage you to do that. This is a great time of year around the holidays here to really dig in and spend more time than you spend any other time of year in the Gospels getting to know Jesus. I'd encourage you this week between Christmas and New Year's, read the Gospel of Mark. Just spend time reading that whole book between Christmas and New Year's saying, who are you, Jesus? Maybe making notes, oh, Jesus is this, so God is this. Then as January starts, launch into the Gospel of John. Spend some time in John interacting with who Jesus is and what that teaches us about God and how he wants to interact with us as his people. We want to know who God is. We want to know more about him. Where do we go? We look at that, that perfect model, that perfect image that teaches us in every way about who our God is. When we participate in the Lord's Supper, it is a wonderful teaching for us each and every week about the sacrificial love of God that is perfectly represented in Jesus' sacrifice on our behalf. As we take the bread and we take the cup, we know that it represents the giving love of God that has done what is best for us. And we celebrate it when we come together. We celebrate it every time we go to these tables. We say, thank you, Lord. Thank you. We recognize our sin and we recognize your great grace and goodness that has overwhelmed our sin as your followers. We say thank you, thank you, thank you to him for what he has done. We're, we're going to enter into a time of taking the Lord's Supper together. And I would encourage you as the band plays a little bit and then we sing a song together, you can make your way over to the four tables that are in the different corners and if you're a follower of Jesus, we want you to take the bread and the cup with us today. You can bring them back to your seat. And in a few minutes, I'll come back up and lead us in the taking of those elements together. Let's worship our God in those elements and in song.